All right. I think you're ready. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And when you find that, please stand to your feet. We want to read this together. In unison, this is the New King James. You could read it right up here. And so let's read. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God that's filled with the nutrients that we need for our spiritual life. We're going to open our heart, receive it by faith, be nourished by it. Again, Holy Spirit, we're trusting in you to do the spiritual work of teaching. That you're opening the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening and opening them and causing people to hear, see, and understand what's being said. Father, I thank you that you're speaking to your children and that your children are going to walk away with something out of this message just for them. And they're going to apply it in their life. And Lord, I thank you that you only can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said? All right, high five someone on the way down. All right, so let's start with verse 1, start unpacking this. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who are the you? That's the Gentiles. Specifically here to the Ephesians, but the word of God is written to all of believers. And so most of the church is a Gentile church. And so it says, you Gentiles, he made you alive when you were dead in trespasses and sins. In the next couple of verses, we're going to talk about our lifestyle and our life as an unbeliever. And so what was it? How was our life before we met Jesus? Just think back in your life. How were you before you met Jesus? Would you like to go back? Let me tell you something, that the, your worst day as a Christian is better than your best day as an unbeliever. Amen. Oftentimes you need to keep that in mind, is that oftentimes we're so focused on what's going today we don't like. Do you know that the, the worst day on the ark was better than one day outside the ark? <laughs> ark life wasn't easy. They didn't have Netflix and didn't have cell phones and stuff. But it was kind of rough and it smelled and stunk and stuff like that. But you know what? The best day on the ark was the best, better than anything on the outside of it. And so your worst day is better than your best day as an unbeliever. And so we're going to look at what we were before we met Jesus. And why do we need to do that? Well, pastor, I'm going to give up my past. I don't focus on my past at all. Well, yeah, I think it's not good to focus on your past. But every once in a while, you need to remember where God brought you from. Because if not, you get lukewarm in your experience with Jesus. And oftentimes we can get in pride and think, you know, I have it all together. Start looking down at people that don't seem to have it all together. And so, little FYI, you don't have it all together. (laughs) And so we get into pride, we're going to fall. So whenever you think you're standing, lest you fall, be careful. 
And so we need to look back at where God brought us from so that we can, in contrast, really revel in the goodness and grace of God. And so this is what Paul's going to do here. He's just going to bring them to their past, remind them who they were before Jesus came into their life. And let's do that this morning in our life. Look in Isaiah 51, look at verse 1. Every once in a while, we need to glance back and remember what it was like before we knew Jesus. Look back at that. Isaiah 51, look at verse 1. It says, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. Raise your hand if that's you. All right. You who seek the Lord. Raise your other hand if that's you. Okay, this is speaking to you. Look to the rock from which you're hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Before you met Jesus, you were in the pit. You were in the cesspool. And the Lord pulled you out of that pit, that miry clay, brought you up, saved you, cleansed you, cleaned you, and renewed your mind and set you free. But you need to go back every once in a while, lest you think it's you or you think you're all that in a bag of chips. Usually that's full of hot air. And so I want you to see something. First of all, he says, in your past as an unbeliever, you were dead. You were dead. That's not physically dead. That's spiritually dead. And so death in the Bible is not a cessation of existence. Oftentimes we think that way because when someone dies, we bury them six foot under and we don't see them anymore. So we almost think they don't exist, but they exist. But what death in the Bible means, it's a separation from. And so what's physical death? When your soul and your spirit separate from your physical body. That's called physical death. What's spiritual death? That's when the spirit of God is separated from your, your spirit and that's called dead. So, but the uh, unbeliever has their spirit and their spirit is active. Do you know an unbeliever can contact the spiritual realm in the demonic area where you have people that are mediums, fortune tellers. And let me tell you that some Christians are getting into the temptation of going to fortune tellers about getting things from God. You think, you know what? I haven't heard from God lately. And, and it seems harder to really open my Bible and seek what God has for me. I'll just, this 1-800 number, they say. I could just call to talk to someone. Well, let me tell you something. Either they're making it up or they're in contact with demons. Not God. And, not, and so they're going to lie. Demons always lie. And so don't get into that. That's danger zone. And so, but an unbeliever is dead in their spirit. And so salvation does, is not about good people becoming good people. Let me say that. Salvation does, is not about bad people becoming good people. It's about dead people becoming living people. And then he renews your mind so that goodness of God can come out in your life. Man needs a new heart, not just a new start. Mankind needs a new life, not turning over a new leaf. They need a resurrection, not a reformation. And so you need a new birth. And so as those who are physically dead cannot communicate with the living, so those who are spiritually dead cannot communicate with the living God. Let me say this again. As those that are physically dead cannot communicate with the living. Be careful of those that want to tell you Uncle Tom... You can communicate with Uncle Tom. It's not Uncle Tom, it's Uncle Demon that knew Uncle Tom or they're lying to you. And so that's forbidden, that's the occult. Do not go there as a Christian. I'm speaking to someone, either you're watching around the world today on this live stream or you're in this room 
that you're tempted to go off and, and dabble into this, do not go there. It's bondage, bondage, bondage. Don't do it. And so as those who are physically dead cannot communicate with the living, so those who are spiritually dead cannot communicate with the living God. They need to be made alive to have a relationship with the living God. It says they were dead, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Say trespasses and sins. Trespasses and sins, they're different. Sin, all trespass is sin, but not all sin is trespass. What are you saying? Well, sin means to miss the mark. And so sin is doing anything against the nature and will of God. There's sometimes that we do things that we didn't even know that that was outside of the will of God or the nature of God, especially when you're first starting in the Christian walk, or especially as an unbeliever, they're unaware of things that they're sinning in. But what's a trespass? A trespass is crossing a known line, saying, I know that line and look you in the face and cross that line and smile at you. I don't know if you've ever had a small child. And you say, do not put your hand there, do not go over there. And they look at you, smiling at you as they do it. They have had a trespass. What was the law? Sin was before the law. They were sending up a storm before the law, but they didn't know how much they sinned, didn't understand the nature of sin until the law came and specifically said, this is wrong. And when they looked God in the face and did it anyway, that's called sin turned into trespass. And so it says that sinners... They are dead in trespasses and sins. This is like the fact with you, with, have you ever met someone with a lead foot in a car? I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to your neighbor. You have a lead foot in your car. And you, you know what, if, if there was no traffic sign saying 55, you wouldn't know you ever had a lead foot. You don't know you had a revelation of a lead foot until that, that, line, that, that sign came up, 55. Something came up and says, I shall go over 55. For I need to, I need to reveal what this engine can do. And what I can do as a race car driver. And there's something within you that, that resents that law and chooses to break that law. That's called trespasses. Notice unbelievers are dead in trespasses and sins. In, that means that they're in a circle where they never get out of the realm of trespasses and sins. What am I saying this? As an unbeliever, they do good things, but it never comes out of the circle of trespass and sin. Brings up the fact that unbelievers are going to stand before God one day and they're going to say, I trusted my good works instead of Jesus because I believe my good works outweigh my bad works. And so I want to be judged on my good works. And so God says, okay, let's judge you by it. And books will be opened and they'll start sharing the good things they did. And said, okay, Tom, I saw that you had perfect attendance in Sunday school. Huh, you noticed. I had that blue ribbon. I was hoping you'd bring that out. And he says, well, that's fine, but let's, let's get to the motive of why you did it. Uh, I see that you are impressing Susie. <laughs> move on, move on. I, I see you gave to the Kiwanis Club. Oh, thousands of dollars to the Kiwanis Club. I was hoping you would bring that out. Yeah, but let's go back to the motive of it. Uh, you were running business deals with that money. Oh, well, let's move on. And one after another, the motive will come out. And notice that it'll never get out of the sphere of transgression and sin, which is self. An unbeliever has no ability to get out of self. Everything is done from self, even though it looks good on the outside. And so an unbeliever is dead 
their spirit is dead in the midst, in a circle of sins and transgressions. And so let's look at sin. Why does an unbeliever sin? Because they're sinners. Look in Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 shows us this. Therefore, just as through one man's sin, who's that? Adam. As through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Guess where you were when Adam sinned? You were in Adam. You were in his loins. And so if I write a note and put it in a book and send the book to China, where did the note go? The note was in the book. The note went to China. We were in Adam. When he fell, what happened to you? When he sinned, guess what? By proxy, you sinned. And so we were all made sinners. This brings out the fact that an unbeliever sins because they're sinners. They don't sin to become sinners. They sin because they are sinners. And so a Christian, though, is born again, sealed by the Holy Spirit in their spirit. And when we sin or trespass, it doesn't affect our spirit. We did it in our soul or did it in our body. But an unbeliever, their entire being is in this place of transgression and sin. Look at verse 2. In which you, Gentiles, once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Bring out the fact the verse 1 says they were dead. This verse says they walked. They weren't physically dead. They were spiritually cut off from God, but they were walking around. And so in our past life as an unbeliever, we were the walking dead. We were made alive through Christ, and now we walk in the newness of life. But an unbeliever is the walking dead. Outside this church, not in this church, you leave this church, you're going to come across a lot of dead people walking around. Sometimes I'm out there, I say, I see dead people. But there's some Christians who appear dead. They walk just like an unbeliever, look like an unbeliever. They laugh at what unbelievers laugh at. They are interested in what unbelievers are interested in. Their values are the same. That's what they're interested in. And so the Bible calls these Christians asleep among the dead. Or they're sleepwalking. And so it says, wake up. Tell someone by next to you, wake up. A little elbow would help. Ephesians 5.14 Ephesians 5.14 says, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, you sleepwalkers, arise from the dead or among the dead, Christ will give you light. And so unbelievers are walking according to the course of this world. Actually, the Greek says the age of this world. And they're on a course. And they think that they're all, you know, unbelievers think they're all doing their own thing. I'm all independent and I'm creative in my individuality. And, but no, no, they're just walking on a pre-designed course that Satan has set for them. And, and Satan is doing a drumbeat and they're following the drumbeat of Satan. Following a course of this world. Notice, it's very interesting to me that those who brag about being different, they're unbelievers or they want to be rebellious or they want to be liberal. And so they'll, they'll say, I'm different. And so they'll dress in a certain way that shocks you or listen to a certain kind of music that's shocking. But all those that say they're different end up congregating together. They wear the same clothes, do the same things, and listen to the same music, claiming they're different. Well, go figure. They're on a drumbeat of Satan going on the course that he's setting to a destination. 
And it says they walk according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's this? It's the devil, Satan. Notice Satan is a mere prince. But Jesus is the king. The unbelievers are following a prince, but you're following the king. Last time I checked, say always. 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 A king trumps a prince. You think, oh, Satan's vying with Jesus. No, 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 no. One's a king, one's a prince. And so they're following the prince of the power of the air. Look at the word power. It's not the word dunamis. It's the word exousia, which means authority. Well, you need to understand that Satan received his authority from Adam when he sinned and gave his authority over to Satan and ruled over this earth till one man came without sin. And Jesus Christ lived a perfect sinless life and Satan killed him illegally and Satan and Jesus died, thought he had him in the grave, but he took the, the authority and the keys to heaven, hell, uh, heaven and earth away from Satan, took that authority back. And when he rose from the dead, he said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. And, but he says, tag, you're it. I give you church the authority. But here it says right now, he is the prince of the authority of the air. He's operating with authority, but guess what? He didn't have any of himself. Where did he get that authority? From us. Men, men, and women, men and women give him the authority he has today. I think it comes right down to the doorstep of the church of what's going on. We look at the world, how bad the world's going. Look what's happening out there. And it's the church that allowed it. Guess what? Let me tell you something. Flesh and blood is not your enemy. Let me even make a, a statement hard to believe. Joe Biden is not your enemy. Oh, yes, he is. No, no, no. The liberals are not your enemy. Flesh and blood's not your enemy, but it's the forces of evil that you have authority far above under your feet we talked about. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to stand up in their sphere taking authority. We have allowed what's happening on the earth. And so he is the prince of the authority of the air. And so let me tell you something, Satan has no authority in heaven. He used to go before God and accuse the brethren before him. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he went into heaven and he purified the, the holy, holy place with his own blood. Satan cannot go before God anymore because if he went before God, he'd have to trudge through the blood of Jesus. And by the time he got to the, got to the throne, he'd be saved in tongue talking. <laughs> he got kicked out of heaven. Now he's on the earth and his sphere, the highest he can go is the atmosphere over our earth. And so he's trying to exercise, and he's called the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Satan is a spirit being. His philosophies, his teachings, his rebellion are at work in the sons of disobedience today. And so look at the word sons of obedience. And so this brings out the fact there are sons of the devil. Jesus called unbelievers the sons of your father, the devil. And so... So if unbelievers choose not to repent and receive Christ, they will inherit what belongs to their father, Satan. Let me tell you what belongs to Satan, his eternity, the lake of fire. Do you know Jesus said one time, he said the lake of fire was never created for human beings. Never was God create, was, had any intention for human beings to go there. 
It was for the fallen angels. That was their place of punishment. But why does human beings go to the lake of fire? Because they're, the, they're under the father, they're Satan. They belong to Satan. And where he goes, they must go. But God's saying, don't go there. I've given you a choice not to go there. You can accept Jesus or willfully reject him. And so look at verse 3. They're called the sons of disobedience because disobedience is equated to unbelief in the New Testament. They're unbelievers. Look at verse 3. Among whom also we Jews all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. He's going to bring out the fact that unbelievers have been tainted and controlled by sin in their body, soul, and spirit. This brings this out in this verse. Look at this verse. It says, they fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The flesh has to deal with the body, the senses of our body. And so the flesh is a byproduct of the sin principle working in and through the members of the human body. Let me bring this out. Your body's not evil at all. And so just like a house that has termites, is the house bad or the, what's inside eating at it? The termites are bad that are dwelling in the house. Your body's just fine, but it's the principle of sin eating away in your mortal members. That's, don't look at me funny because that's why we're all going to die physically. That's why we're on a process of dying because the sin principle in the flesh. And we'll all die that day. Well, pastor, give me scripture. I'll give you two, but I can't. I can't, I give you a lot more, but I don't have time to delve into this topic more than give you a couple verses that show you this. Romans 8, look at verse 10. Romans 8, look at verse 10. It says, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but your, the spirit, should be a little s, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And so your body is a product of death, dying. And why? Because the nature, the principle of sin is in the body. And that's why your body's going to die. Look at Romans 7, look at verse 23. But I see another law in my members, that's the members of my body, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity the law of sin, which is in my members. So sin in my members. And so again... That's why all men die, because that's in their members. But that's just the body. But it moves on that unbelievers controlled by sin in their soul. Look, it says, and they follow the desires of the flesh and mind. And so an unbeliever has a carnal mind. And God says that those cannot submit to the law of God, have a carnal mind. They can't please God because they have a carnal mindset. An unbeliever totally has a carnal mind. And it's set according to the flesh. But notice it goes beyond just your body and your soul. An unbeliever is controlled by sin and Satan in their spirit. Notice it says it goes and says we're by nature children of wrath. That word nature means that the core of your being is your nature. And so the core of the human being is their spirit. That's the nature of man. And so this verse shows that all three parts of an unbeliever has been corrupted by sin. The body through the flesh, the, the, the soul, the mind, and also the core, their nature, their spirit. But through Christ, you have a righteous nature when you're born again. Tell someone you have a righteous nature if you're born again. You only have one nature. That's who you are in your spirit. Either you're a sinner in your spirit or you're the righteousness of God in your spirit. If you've accepted Jesus, you've moved from the Adams family into Christ's family, you're born again, you have his nature on the inside of you, and so praise the Lord. 
And so we allow to live the Christian life from the inside out. And so it says they were children of wrath. Unbelievers are children, believers are children of God, but the unbelievers are children of wrath. And so again, just as the others. So why would Paul go into this depth talking about where they came from? Well, Paul wanted them to gather around just for a moment around the edge of the cesspool of what they once were so they would never forget it. He wanted them to remember their former condition so they could appreciate what Paul is about to say about what God did in life, how God entered their, your life and made a change in your life. And God had entered your life because it says, but God. Every one of you that got born again had a but God moment. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were in different stages of decay as a dead person. But God came and met you. You didn't find God. God found you. I found Jesus. He's not lost. He found you. And there was a but God moment in your life. You need to remember that but God moment. Where were you? How were you before you were saved? And then but God changed that forever. Look at verse 4. But God. Say but God. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. What a glorious declaration. But God. We would all be destroyed, but God, I don't care what you're facing now. I don't care what you're facing in your body. You may have had a doctor's report that says that's the end of the line for you, but you need to hear, but God, but God, you might be in a financial situation today. You might be going through bankruptcy right now. You might have a mountain of debt, credit card debts over your head. You don't know how you're going to get out, but God, but God. Your marriage might seem like it's at the end. I don't have any answers anymore. We're not talking anymore. It looks like we're just roommates together. We're separated. It looks like our marriage is dead. But God. Tell someone, but God. Put the God factor into it. If God can move through the biggest miracle, take you from spiritual death to spiritual life, could he not touch your finances? Could he not touch your health? Can he not touch your marriage? Can he not touch your work situation? Yes. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy. I love it didn't say that he just has mercy. He's rich in mercy. Why do we need mercy? You need mercy when you need it. And you need it when you blow it. Mercy's given when you blow things and you're the cause of your problem. Have you ever been the cause of your problem? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your neighbor. You know, me and you, we've got it all, all together. We're often the problem, the source of our problem or contribute to the problem. Well, God, will, but if you will come to him, he's rich in mercy. But the problem is, is people are too proud to ask for mercy. To ask for mercy, you have to admit you missed it. I blew it, God. I'm the reason. I've been pointing fingers here and that's he and her and Boz and no, no, no. That thumb points back at me. I said, no, I'm the man. I'm, I take responsibility. I blew it, God. And that's the only way you receive mercy. What's mercy? Crop failure. From some of the seed you've sown. Raise your hand. Thank God for some crop failure in your life. Praise God. That's what mercy is. I love Hebrews 4.16. It says, come to the throne of grace. I didn't just say come to the throne of grace and receive grace. First of all, it says come to the throne of grace and obtain mercy. Because oftentimes we're, we have contributed to the problem. And you need forgiveness. You need that mercy 
based on his goodness in our life, his forgiveness, receive mercy and then find grace to get it right. Amen. The grace is to get it right. But how can you get it right until you admit it, you got it wrong? But see, people are so proud. There's people that, I, that I've seen in my life and there's been times in my life I'm not quick to admit that I'm wrong and I don't receive the mercy. Some of you, so a lot of you are asking for justice and you need mercy. But you got to admit, I blew it. I did wrong. And then find grace. Because at the point when you receive forgiveness, move on. Move on, move on. Stop asking him over and over and over again to forgive you. You believe you receive forgiveness one time and move on. Move into the grace of God. Move into the grace that he's going to give you to get out of your problem. Do it the right way. He'll show you that. You'll find grace to help in time of need. It says, who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Do you know God loved you just as much as he loves you now when you were an unbeliever? When you were dead and trespassed in sin, you, had, you were his enemy. In your own mind, you were an enemy to God. He still loved you. Why? Because he's love. Our love is dependent usually on the, how well you behave. And if you get your lined up, then I'll show how much I appreciate you. But God gives love because he is love. And it's 100% his love. And so God is a God of love. And it's a wonderful truth that God loves mankind with an unconditional love on his part. Raise your hand if that's wonderful. God loves you based on his unconditional love on his part. But we have a part. We have a part. Our, our part, there's a condition for us to experience the love of God. He loves us, but not everybody's experiencing his love. There is a condition on our part to experience it. We got to know about it, believe it, and receive it. Tell someone you need to be beloved. Be loved. You got to know he loves you and receive his love. Receive his love today. That is the key. Faith is the requirement to experience the love of God. I'm going to actually teach this morning how you can experience the love of God anytime you desire. The problem with Christians is they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Jeremy, sure I can't make the worship team. He told me, you're, you're not the one taking over for me, so sorry about that. Oftentimes, we're looking for love in the wrong places. What are some places, wrong places to look for how God to experience his love? We look to our emotions. And there are many times when everything aligns in a church service where we'll feel his love, and a lot of times we don't feel his love, and like, God, I just want to feel your love. I want to experience your love. You're looking for it the wrong place. Looking in your emotions is the wrong place to look for love. The worst place to look for love, the worst barometer on how God feels about you at any given time is your circumstances. Some of you are going through some really negative circumstances and it's hard if you're going to try to determine his feeling towards you based on what you're going through. You think, well, God may not love me much. You know, you'd be like that person with the flower going, she, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Oftentimes, you're looking for love in your emotions, your circumstances, those are not the right places. There's only one approved place, one biblical foundation to experience the love of God anytime you want to experience it. There's the pathway to experience God's love, and it's found one place. It's the biblical way. It's the word way, and I want to show you what that is. 
Experiencing God's love is directly tied to the redemption found in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Let me say that again. The only way you can experience the love of God at any time is to go back to the cross. Go back to what he did for you at the cross. Well, pastor, show me this. Oh, I will. I'll give you more than two or three scriptures. Let me give you some scriptures to show how you can experience the love of God anytime you want. Look in Romans 5, look at verse 8. Romans 5, look at verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. Look at the word demonstrates. It's actually in the Greek, it's a present tense verb. It is God is demonstrating, 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 demonstrating his love towards us. In what way? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he's constantly demonstrating his love. Jesus died for you. Look at 1 John 3, look at verse 16. How can you experience the love of God anytime you need it? Stop looking at your emotions. Stop looking at your circumstances. Go to the word. Go back to the cross. That's how you'll tap into it. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know. The Greek word know is the word gnosko, which means to know by experience. We're talking about how do you experience the love of God? Well, we know by experience love because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Go to 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 9. 1 John 4 verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested towards us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Look at verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins on the cross. Go to John 15. Look at verse 13. John 15. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that at the cross. You want to experience the love of God anytime you want to. Go back and focus on how Jesus suffered and died for you. I want to talk about, you need to put a magnifying glass over your life when it comes to redemption. We say, well, yeah, Jesus died for everybody. Billions and billions of people. But no, he died for you. In a God way, on the cross, he died just for you. And took your sins into his own body, your sins you'd ever committed... That's what Jesus took into his own body. And he became sin. But not only that on the cross, but he, he, he took beatings for you. Amen. He was pummeled in, with his fit, people's fists into his face. They ripped his beard out. They spit right into his face for you. And then they took him out to the whipping post early in the morning. We know it was very cold that morning. Because Peter was warming his hands over fire. I don't know how you've ever experienced how more sensitive your skin is when it's cold. They whipped him with a cat of nine tails. And they didn't give him 40 stripes minus one. That's the Jews. They just beat you till they're tired. Or you're dead. And they whipped him. And whipped him and whipped him for you. For you. And then he, they took him to the cross and put spikes through his wrists. The, the most biggest nerve endings in your body is your, in your wrists. And through his feet. And hung them 
on a cross, naked, with no clothes on. And he suffered for six hours for you. Because he loved you. That's just the physical part. How about what was happening in the spirit realm? When he was bearing your sin. And your sin and my sin separated him from his father in fellowship from eternity past. That Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he loved you. If you'll focus on that, the love of God wells up into your soul and you experience it. And it's demonstrated and demonstrated and demonstrated to you when you know it and believe it. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even, say even. Even when you were dead in trespasses, he made you alive. By grace you've been saved. Well, I guess so. It's by grace. Unmerited favor. We were dead. We had nothing going for us. We had nothing towards God. We had nothing to offer to God. But God. Made us alive together. With Christ. When you got born again and you entered into Christ in union with Christ through His Spirit and your Spirit, He shares everything He has with you. The first thing He shares with an unbeliever that gets born again is His life. His very life. That's what gives the new birth. That's that spiritual life. He's constantly giving His life to your spirit. He quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I love the verb tense. It's a perfect tense in the Greek, which means something that happened in the past that has continuing results up into the present. And whenever you read this, it's something that happened in the past that has continuing results throughout eternity. You're saved. He made us alive together with Christ By grace you've been saved. Look at verse 6. And he raised us up together. Why did he raise us up together? Because remember, when we're in him, he shares everything he has with you. He shared his resurrection. He shared his ascension. And guess what, Christian? He shared his seat with you. Isn't that nice of Jesus? I don't know if I would have shared my seat with you. A special honor at the right hand of God. But he shares it equally with you. And seated us together in heavenly places in Christ. That's where you've been made to sit spiritually. You need to have the proper perspective. Are you looking down at your problem or looking up because you're under your problem? Well, how are you doing today? Well, under the circumstances. What are you doing under there? You're seated far above. Principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's named. And cancer has a name. Poverty has a name. Lack has a name. Whatever you're facing has a name. You're above it. It's under your feet. Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Notice it says in the ages, plural. Right now, we're in one age called the church age. It's been going for 2,000 years, but when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the rapture of the church will take place when the fullness of the Gentiles takes in, and then we'll enter. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to usher in the next age called the millennium. 
the thousand year reign of Jesus. But here it says ages. I don't know what happens after the millennium. I don't know. But there'll be age after age after age. And I believe personally, he's never lost his creative, creative creatorness. Well, pastor, how do I know that? Isaiah 9 tells us that of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. The increase of his government. I believe he'll continue creating and creating. I believe there's 100 billion galaxies out there for a reason. I might get my own galaxy. Get your own. There's a plenty to go around. That the ages to come, he might show what? His exceeding riches of his grace. Point to you as a trophy of his grace. But I want you to see something. He's going to wait for the ages to come to bring out his exceeding riches. Right now, all we're facing, all we're experiencing is his riches of his grace. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 7. Redemption brings in the riches of his grace. Today, you're just getting his riches today. One day, he's going to roll out his exceeding riches. You haven't seen anything yet, baby. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the new birth, and the things you experience are just his riches. One day, he's going to roll out his exceeding riches. The word exceeding means you, it's further than you can throw it. He's going to unfold more and more of his riches, of his grace towards you in the coming ages to come. So many Christians today are seeking the occult for their fortune of their life. They want their fortunes read. Don't do it. Your fortune, why? Because your fortune's already been told. Your fortune's already been told by God. We see here our past, we see our present, and we see our future. Your fortune's already been told. I want to end with this story. The late Bible teacher, Harry Ironside, was on a trolley car in Los Angeles when a rather peculiar-looking lady got on board and sat down beside him. She was dressed in what he described as a red bandana handkerchief outfit, pieced together. With a shawl over her head and a lot of spangles on her forehead. And as soon as she sat down, she asked Ironside if he would like to have his fortune told. Her fee was only a quarter. Ironside said, it's really not necessary because I've already had my fortune told to me already. I have a little book in my pocket that tells me my past, my present, and my future. She said, you have it in a book? Yes. And it's absolutely infallible. Let me read it to you. So he got out his New Testament. And the fortune teller looked startled. And he opened to Ephesians 2 and said, here's my past. He read verses 1 through 3 about being dead in his trespasses and sins and living in the lust of his flesh. Well, the, ner ner the nervous fortune teller said, I don't care to hear anymore. But Ironside said, hold on. And gently grabbed her by the arm and said, I want to tell you my present. He read Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and he raised you up with him and seated you with him in heavenly places in Christ. 
That's plenty, the woman said. I don't wish to hear anymore. But Ironside said, yet there's more to come. And I won't charge you a quarter to hear it. Here's my future. He read verse 7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. By now the woman was on her feet and Ironside could not hold on to her arm any tighter lest he be charged with assault. And she fled down the aisle saying, I picked the wrong man! I picked the wrong man! Well, if you have someone want to read your future, they picked the wrong man. They picked the wrong woman. Your future's been told. We know our past. We know where we're seated now. We know our future in Jesus Christ. Amen. But Satan comes and points back your past and says, based on what you've done in the past, your future's not going to be bright. When Satan comes to share his fortune, your fortune with him, you need to tell, share his fortune. Share his future. Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's his fortune. But praise God, we're going to shine like the lights in the firmament we're going to rule and reign with Jesus as sons of God, daughters of God. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your word that shows us, reminds us what the pit you brung us from, how we were dead in trespasses and could do nothing about it. And you came, but God, and you came and turned our situation around. You say, well, pastor, I've forgotten about that that God found me in the worst case I could have been in spiritual death and did the greatest miracle I could ever experience, bring spiritual life from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light in a moment. But God, God did that. And I've forgotten because I've been focusing on my financial problem. I've been focusing on a relationship problem. I've been focusing on a health situation and letting it get so big. But I forgot about the but God factor. And you say, Pastor, today I need a but God moment. And by faith, by the love of God, I'm going to receive the love of God because the love of God has already been demonstrated at the cross. And you need to go back to the cross where he died for you. He rose again for you. And he gave you eternal life. That same God is going to be the God today that's going to turn this around, but God. And you say, Pastor, today, I need the mercy of God, the grace of God. I need a but God moment right now. I need a but God moment. He loves to bring in but God moments in his life. So raise your hand high. Say, Pastor, that's me today. What I'm facing, I need a but God moment. Well, first of all, receive mercy. If you've had a part to play and say, God, I, I, I contributed to this. I'm sorry. God, show me mercy. And then, Lord, show me the grace to get out of this. But, but God, I'm trusting in your power to turn this around. If you saved me, loved me when I was an unbeliever, how much do you love me right now? And I trust that you're going to bring me out and that I'm going to give a testimony of a but God moment in my life right now. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so this word is from Matthew 537. But let your yes be yes and your no be no for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And I just really feel that in this season that we are really supposed to be seeking the Lord on what you know, we're supposed to be doing and not doing um, because anything beyond that can really wear us out mentally, emotionally, 
And um, so that's it. So church, I want to share with you a great testimony. Um, I'm currently a student at Karis, and I wasn't sure how I'm going to go to second year. And I told the Lord, well, I don't have it, so I'm waiting expectantly for it. And this past Monday when I was serving, a lady, she was like, can I be nosy for a second? And she asked me about my story. And she said, I want to help you. And um, I don't know where she's, she's just new to campus as well. She didn't know who I was. I didn't know who she was. And, you know, I was thinking like maybe a hundred, two hundred dollars, you know, whatever, whatever. And she called me the next day and said her and her husband decided to put 2000 on my tuition. And it's not only that, two days later, another person put 500 on my tuition. So I just want to let you know that with the message as well today, like Jeho God is Jehovah Jireh, and he will provide for you whatever you need. Just wait expectantly. You are his child, and he has everything that you need. So just wait expectantly, whatever you're believing for. Know that your God is your provider. He won't leave you hanging. Just wait expectantly. Amen. I just feel that the Lord is um, wanting to remind us what Pastor Rick had said a few Sundays ago, where we're to continually be praying. Um, and by how we do that is praying in the spirit. No matter what we're doing, just always continually praying in the spirit. It helps keep us connected with him. It gives us um, peace in our heart and direction for our day.